welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about Twilight for grown-ups so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Dead Until Dark by Charlene Harris. Joining us to discuss the first book in the Suki Stackhouse series is Kristen May, True Blood Enthusiast and Secret Panther. Hi, guys. Hey, Kristen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. I was really excited. Before we get too deep into all of this, which we're about to get so deep, we have a couple notes we want to say up at the top. The first one is that uh, if you didn't know, one of the perks of being one of our Patreon supporters is that uh, we did a poll where only Patreon supporters got to vote on a book that we would read, and we would read whatever won the poll, and this was the winner. And I just want to say I'm so grateful, first of all, that you all supported us on Patreon, and second of all, that you all had this amazing choice for us. Like, I just, I feel so blessed to have gotten to read this book. And then secondly, before we get into this, I did want to mention just a little content warning that this book does contain. And and it's not a huge part of it, but I just didn't want to take anybody by surprise. There's a little bit of sexual assault. There's a little bit of child sexual abuse that's sort of out of left field and sort of not a huge part of the book, but it might come up. And I just wanted to mention that up top, that there's some slight hints of questionable content coming up, which maybe isn't a surprise if you've seen the show or if you're at all familiar with this, but but it's there. Anything else we should add before we dive in? I don't think so. I'm real tired. I guess that's important. Mm -hmm. Content warning for Kate being tired. Yeah. All right. Well, great. Let's jump in. Um, okay, so Suki Sackhouse, uh, this is the character from the True Blood television show on HBO, which was very popular for a while. So I think probably more people have seen the show than read the books. The books are not called True Blood, so if there's any confusion, that's why. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you're not at all familiar, they're, the lead character's name is Suki Stackhouse, which is a great name. Uh, she is a waitress who has psychic powers, which she refers to as a disability, because, you know, it's, it's really inconvenient to be able to hear people's thoughts all the time. It kind of gets in her way. Uh, she is an extremely beautiful, extremely sexy waitress, and she just wants you to know that up front, page one, she's got it going on. <laughs> FYI. And in the show, she's played by Anna Paquin, so it's true. She does. Set in, um, Kristen, I want to make sure I say the name of the town, right? We say the name of the town. Bontemps. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no Louisiana accent, though, so I don't know if that's the Louisiana pronunciation. It's the HBO pronunciation. Okay, yeah. It's it's written out like Bontemps, which I know is not how you say it, but I, okay. Bontemps? Bontemps. Bontemps. Fuck. Okay, I'm just going to try not to say it. It's set in Louisiana, but not New Orleans. <laughs> Uh, they do refer straight up that, like, okay, so in this world, uh, vampires are sort of publicly, they've sort of, you know, come out of hiding. Out of the coffin? Out of, Which is the best term. (laughs) (laughs) They've come out of the coffin, and so it's sort of publicly aware that there are vampires, and they've come up with this synthetic blood substitute, uh, branded as true blood. So vampires can just, like, go to 7-Eleven, get their fake blood, and then uh, they don't have to kill humans anymore, and it's so great. Except they still kind of want to, though. So there's that. 
So, and when this book starts, I feel like it's it's been like a few years maybe since vampires have, have come out of the coffin. God, I love it. <laughs> I got the sense that it was like they came out in the big cities, but maybe it hasn't trickled out to the smaller areas yet. Yeah. So, like, when the book starts, Suki is about to meet her first vampire, and she's really excited because... Their town is, uh, it's a few hours outside of New Orleans, and she says, you know, New Orleans is a big vampire hub, and so they're always going to New Orleans, but they never make it up as far as where she lives, and she's just, like, a a curious, enthusiastic, sexy waitress, and she's really excited to meet a vampire, and one comes into the bar where she works, which is called Merlot's. Merlot's? Merlot's. Merlot's. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real problem uh, when you read books. And not listen to audiobooks and not watch shows. You don't know how to pronounce anything. Although I will say, and we can dive into the show a little bit later. I did watch the first season of the show, but a long time ago, and it's really hazy for me. So obviously I don't remember how they pronounce names of anything. Uh, So yeah, it starts off, this vampire comes into her bar. We learn that she can read thoughts, but she can't read the vampire's thoughts. Kind of a reverse Edward and Bella situation. Yeah, and she kind of gives some background on all of the other people in the bar, and we find out that the other waitress, who is her friend Arlene, is there. Her boss is named Sam and, like, has, like, a weird relationship with her that at this point she doesn't quite understand. And there's these, like, really jerky, this really jerky couple who she hates because they're, like, rude to her and are just, like, low-life people. The Rattays? Yeah, she calls them the Rats, because the first part of their name is Rat, and they're bad people. Yeah, and so she's already thinking of the vampire as her vampire, which is a thing you could do, sure. (laughs) And uh, she's a little disturbed to see that, um, like, as soon as the rats realize that he's a vampire. They, like, get up from their table and go over and sit with him. And she's, like, pissy about that. She's jealous. Yes. And her brother is also at the bar. Jason. Jason. um, To pick up any woman, it appears, any woman who will look at him. Her brother's also real sexy, not that Sookie thinks of him that way, but she wants us to know that she could see where you would think that. And it seems like pretty much every lady in town does think that. Yeah. Uh, So she sees the rats and the vampire leave, and she knows, or someone tells her, that that they were, oh no, she reads their minds and finds out that the reason that they were in jail recently is because they were draining vampires and selling their blood as a drug, which is a thing people do now. Totally. So she's very concerned about the well-being of her vampire. And instead of, like, asking anyone for help, she goes outside. Well, partly because she doesn't want to reveal that she knows this because she read their minds. Which is just dumb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and she takes a chain out of her the, the back of her brother's pickup truck. Which he always keeps there for scrapping. <laughs> yes. And attacks them to save the vampire. And she does, and afterwards, he goes off, he tells her that his name is Bill, and she's 
very disappointed. Because <laughs> she wanted to have a glamorous name. Yes. And he goes off and she goes home. And she lives with her grandma. Yes. Who is a her delight. Parent, her parents died when she was young. And so she's lived with her grandmother ever since. And her brother lives in her parents' old house, but like comes by to visit sometimes or whatever. And when she tells her grandmother that she met a vampire, her grandmother's like, well, that sounds cool. Will he come talk to like my civil war society about what the civil war was like? And she's like, I don't know that I literally met him five minutes ago. Like, but I'll ask because you're my grandma. By the way, the civil war club is called the descendants of the glorious dead, which is so goth. And I love it. Yes. So the next day she goes back to work and finds out, well, first she finds out, I think at this point, that a girl was murdered in town and she was not murdered by a vampire, but there were vampire bites on her because she is a fang banger (laughs) who is a person who is sexually attracted to vampires and likes to let them bite them non-fatally and then have sex with them so the vampires didn't kill her but she had these bites and she was known for this and uh she's now dead and her brother suki's brother not this girl's brother used to date her or sleep with her occasionally so like He's like, oh, like, maybe your vampire friend is a suspect. And she's like, maybe you're a suspect because you fucked her. And he's like, good point. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Bill the vampire is a suspect just because he's, like, the only vampire in town. But Suki knows it wasn't him because she was with him and he was busy getting attacked. Yes. So she goes to work. And her boss is really pissed that she, like, ran out to beat the crap out of these people. And it seems like he's less pissed that she, like, left her shift to go beat people up in his parking lot. And more that she put herself in danger. He's very protective. Yes. And she tries to read his thoughts and realizes that she can't get, like, actual thoughts from him. And she had said earlier she had not ever tried to read his thoughts before because she had had other bosses who were like thought like terrible sexual things about her and it ruined those jobs. So she's purposely been blocking him out and she discovers that she can't figure out what like the substance of his thoughts is. She just gets like impressions or something. I think this is one of my favorite lines in the book because, okay, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of his thoughts were more like getting a reading from a mood ring than getting a fax. (laughs) well that is certainly two things that you can compare to (laughs) so good yeah and i uh it might be now it might be later he is very aware that she can read thoughts but he has avoided saying it outright but it maybe it's later he he outright is like try like read my thoughts try to read my thoughts and he kind of invites it so there's something going on with sam is the thing yeah. But we don't know what yet. I mean, we do because we read the book, but we'll tell you later, podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm less interested in going like beat by beat through like all the things and just sort of talking about what's awesome. Uh, I, there's a couple more. There's a string of murders of girls who are 
some like have been with vampires and also Jason <clears throat> and also Jason because yeah. <laughs> Jason has fucked every girl in town so it doesn't like narrow it down and videotaped it yes and videotaped yeah. it and the videos are weird and we don't exactly know why but they're like it's not just regular homemade porn it's like extreme homemade porn so that's been going on. Bill does agree to go to the meeting of the descendants of the Glorious Dead and tells them about the Civil War from his point of view as a Confederate vampire, which again is very Twilight and is a, a little weird. Like, I, I, I can't fully flesh this out, but I feel like there is something interesting about these Confederate vampires and how both of this and Twilight have to kind of go through some hoops to be like, well, listen, like, yes, he's a Confederate soldier, and yes, we all agree that, like, slavery was bad and stuff, but there were, like, good Confederates, right? And, like, here's one, and he's a vampire, but but without digging too deep at all into, like, the actual Civil War, and they just have to get on this real, real micro level of, like, he did a good thing in the Civil War. That's good, right? That's good. Yeah, I've got to admit that... um, and I felt this slightly when we were watching the Twilight movies, but definitely more so with this, like with the climate that we're currently in in this country, it just felt very sh- strange to be reading, even in a like, well, slavery is bad. And that's this is just what it was like back then. And you had to choose a side way, like reading like, oh, and our hero was a Confederate soldier was like very deeply disturbing. And especially... The day that we're recording this, especially with the stuff that happened in Charlottesville yesterday, it just felt, when I was reviewing last night, like, very uncomfortable to me. And very uncomfortable when I was reading it. I don't know if we want to get too much into the character of Tara, because she doesn't exist in this book. But she, in the television show, plays Sookie's best friend. In the book, she's just kind of like a boutique owner who pops up every now and then. And the, the sister of Lafayette, who is in this book a little bit. Yes. So she actually calls this out in the TV show when she meets Bill the first time because he's like charming her grandmother or Sookie's grandmother and talking about like the Civil War and being a Southern gentleman and knowing all the the families that still exist in town from when he had lived there originally. Um, And she straight up just says like, did you own slaves? And kind of slowly gets into that conversation. So I don't know. In the TV show, I really liked what they did with that, with the Tara character in the first season, at least. Because she does kind of point out a lot of those problematic elements. I feel like we can't talk about it without mentioning that, especially today. Yeah. And this book was written, it was written in 2001, which was obviously a different time, but obviously also still a time when, like, white supremacy was still happening in America. And there definitely is something about this, like... Southern, I mean, there's a lot of, like, kind of Southern Gothic, and there's a lot of this, like, fucked up history tied into it, and I feel like True Blood is like, I want to dip my toe in it, but I'm not really committing to it in a way that's, it's not a huge part of it, but it is uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's very, like, a lot of it, I feel like, is hung on this, this thing that we've been hearing more and more the past couple years, which is like, oh, like, the Confederacy, like, it's not 
a symbol of like hatred. It's a symbol of our history, which, you know, has become very clear that that is not the case at all and has never been the case. I think it was easier to not question that 15, 17 years ago, just because the times were so different in the mainstream than they are now in the mainstream. But it's like, it was, it was certainly something that I was thinking about the entire time I was reading this book. And uh, I am very curious as to if this book was written today, if that would still be a part of it. I mean, Charlene Harris is still writing these supernatural books. Uh, it's not the Suki Suki Stackhouse series. I don't. Are all her books set like in the South or? Um, the ones that I've read primarily are. I've dabbled in a couple of her different um, series. I know I there's a new TV show for one of hers that just started recently based on her series. I think it's called Midnight Texas. So I mean that one's very Southern. Um, she did another series with like a detective that I believe is based out of Louisiana, but they kind of travel all over. Um, so yeah, that's clearly where her comfort zone is. I'm just real quick looking up Charlene Harris. I assume she's from there. Uh... Yeah, I think she is. Side note, Renata, I think I brought this up to you earlier, but I, ha- as I said, I've dabbled in a couple of her book series, and the main character tends to have some sort of psychic or psychic adjacent ability. And, you know, she writes what she knows. She's from the South. She writes psychics. So um, I'm going to go ahead and start the conspiracy theory that Charlene Harris is herself a psychic. I got to take a quick interlude to just read a few sentences from her Wikipedia page. Charlene Harris was born and raised in the Mississippi River Delta area of the United States. She now lives in southern Arkansas with her husband and three children. Though her early work consisted largely of poems about ghosts and later teenage angst, she began writing plays and she attended Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. So I feel like ghosts and teenage angst is like not that far off from where we're at. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. And I just looked this up because when you said Midnight Texas, it sounded so familiar. The show that they are making, or at least the pilot that was bought based on Midnight Texas was written by Kelly Sue DeConnick, who is not necessarily a friend of the show, but she's a friend of mine. So like, I'm just gonna throw that out there that, you know, when you get to, when we get to Reader's Advisory, if you like this, maybe you should read everything that Kelly Sue DeConnick has ever written. (laughs) I can back that. Uh, I have watched the first three episodes of the show. I think there might be four out by the time this drops. And I certainly don't hate it. It's it's a lot of fun if this is up your alley. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. It was not Midnight Texas. It was Redliners was the one that Kelly Sue wrote and is also a Charlene Harris. But the people who made Midnight Texas optioned Redliners, if that makes sense. Okay, it does. It does make sense. But yeah, Redliners is another Charlene Harris property, but it's different for Midnight Texas. Okay, so that's Charlene Harris. She's Southern. She likes ghosts and Southern inks and psychics. Has a complicated relationship with the Confederacy, it seems like. And again, it's not a huge part of this, but it is present. And like Kate was saying, with with the current political climate, it is jarring to have this one chapter where we're like, hey, I know I was a Confederate soldier, but I'm still cool, right? Okay, bye. And then it, and then it goes away from that. Um, I don't... How much of that... 
continues in the rest of the series, would you say, Kristen? Uh, not too terribly much. I mean, they they definitely play on the fact that it, they're all old families in this area. Mm. So, like, Bill did know a lot of the other, like, last names that are mentioned in this series. Like, the, um, the sheriff and the, like, the detective who are investigating Jason. The Bell Fleurs. Yes. Um, they're an old name, so, like, he's known them, and they keep coming up throughout this series as well. But I think more than anything, it's supposed to influence his character as to, like, why he is, like, the southern gentleman that he is. Barf. <laughs> uh, so they do have that meeting where he tells them all his Civil War stories, and then uh, Grandma gets murdered, and Sookie is, which is very sad, and Sookie is sure that the Grandma's murder was, like, meant for Sookie, that it, because all these other girls who had, who had somehow vampire associates were killed, and then her grandma. So I do think it's important, too, to say that, um, just for plot-related purposes, that while Bill's at the old-timers meeting talking about the Civil War, Suki's there, too, but on a date with Sam, the boss, which she feels, like, kind of weird about. And she, because she had gone out with Bill earlier, but then she went over to his house, like, just to stop by and see him, and there were some more aggressive vampires there, and she kind of got cold feet and was like, oh, like, I don't know that I could date a vampire knowing that all of these other, like, evil vampires are out there. So, did it, okay, maybe I misread this, but I also got the sense that she was there with Sam because she was pissed off that Bill didn't call her. Yes. Like, she kept having to initiate the dates, and so it was very much a, like, I'm writing him off until he picks up the phone to actually call me. Yeah, I think there was some of that. Yeah. But when afterwards, when Sam takes her home, he tries to kiss her and she's like not into it. And yeah, then then her grandmother is dead. And then she and Bill get back together after her grandmother is dead because like death brings people together, I guess. Right. Well, and he's he becomes uh, very protective because he's like, uh, you're right. Somebody is clearly killing people who are associated with vampires. So like it probably was supposed to be you. They have the funeral. Grandma leaves all of the house to her instead of splitting the house with uh, her brother. Oh, because they don't invite... Her only remaining relative, I think, is an uncle who they don't invite to the funeral. And people in town are kind of like, oh, what about your uncle? And she's just like, oh, we don't talk to him. But she reveals to Bill that this uncle had molested her as a child, which Jason never, her brother Jason never, like, believed was real. And Jason still sort of kept in touch with the uncle. And Bill hears about this and is furious and, like, basically immediately goes out and murders the uncle, which is um, bad. Question. And which he had also, didn't he, he also did that to the rats, too. After they beat Sookie up for oh, chasing them off. He- oh, you oh, cause you know what though, cause we skipped over after that first time when Sookie fought off the rats, then they came back for her and they beat her really badly. Like she was dying, and Bill gave her a little bit of his blood, because it has like healing properties. And yeah, and he killed them. But he killed them in such a way that everyone thought it was a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> but Sookie knew the truth. So while all this is happening, more women are being killed who continue to, like, be fangbangers and also have slept with Jason. Which, it's uh, a small town, but it's got a lot of slutty girls in it. Yes. I don't know. I mean, I, what, maybe, like, five die total. I mean, we keep saying it keeps happening. 
And it is a lot more girls than you'd want murdered, but it's not like, but every few chapters it happens. She asked Bill to take her to a vampire bar a couple towns over. Do they go to New Orleans? Bill no. goes to New Orleans Bill, later, oh, but that's kind of like yeah. off yeah, okay, camera. Okay. You don't exactly know what happens there. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, no, this, is, this isn't in New Orleans. It's in another town that I had heard of in Louisiana, but now I can't remember what one it was. Shreveport. Yes. Mm. Yes, it was Shreveport. And while she's there, and this happens, I think, actually before the meeting of the Old Timers Club, she meets, there's like a lot of these like fangbangers there. And she meets the guy who runs the bar, who's also like the police chief of vampires. Yes, he is the sheriff of whatever their district is. Yes. And um, he's, like, super intrigued by her, and he knows that she's psychic because she tells him that the police, the non-vampire police are coming or something like that. So Eric is, like, he's, like, the oldest vampire in the area, so he holds a lot of authority, and Bill has to, like, answer to him. And one thing that keeps coming up is that Bill has to refer to Sookie as his, which she doesn't exactly take kindly to right off the bat, Mm -hmm. but that's, like how he stakes his claim around other vampires to let them know that they're not allowed to feed off of her because everybody just wants to, like, eat her or fuck her, like, man or vampire. Mm-hmm. Suki is everyone's personal brand of heroin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's, like, that weird dynamic where he has to, like, claim her and she starts to learn vampire bureaucracy <laughs> to, like, stay alive. You know, and this is kind of, like, it goes back to, like, Dark Archer and other things where, like, I just love it when they have, like, a union of these supernatural create. Like, I would love for the League of Assassins and the Thieves Guild and the Vampire Society to just have, like, meetings of all their union reps being like, oh my god, it's, like, so hard to get insurance for these guys. Like, fucking impossible. (laughs) Anyway. So, Eric, the vampire sheriff, Later, Sookie agrees with Jason, because the police, like, are seriously considering him a suspect, to, like, use her power to try and find out who really is killing them. And at the same time, or shortly thereafter, the vampire sheriff asks Bill to, orders Bill to bring Sookie back to the bar because someone's been stealing money from him, and he wants to know who. And... She eventually, by, like, reading the minds of humans associated with the club, figures out that it's the bartender who's also part owner of the bar or something. And who is, by the way, a Native American uh, named Long Shadow, which I was like, "Mm, not great, but he's not in it for that long, I guess, so. He attacks Sookie, and Eric saves her by killing him, and... It's, it's very fraught. It's a very fraught time for everyone. Well, yes. and then it also builds on one of the themes that runs throughout this whole series is like the exchange of blood. And so Sookie accidentally ingests some of Long Shadow's blood before oh, yeah. he is murdered by Eric, which, side note, is against vampire policy to murder yeah. another vampire. So that's how you know he's serious and like don't mess with him. 
But so she's already had Bill's blood, uh, I think, twice by this point. Yeah. And so people have started to notice, like, oh, your hair is, like, way more beautiful. And, like, I wanted to have sex with you before, but now I really want to. Um, And she's got, like, way more energy and heals really fast. But nobody, like, all of a sudden nobody knows what's going to happen when she ingests blood from Longshadow, which I don't quite understand that response. But then later they do talk. I don't think they address it in this book. But later in the series they address, there's, like, a link between humans and vampires like if if um Suki and Bill exchange blood then there's like a connection there so he like knows when she's in distress and like can rush to her aid or just like sense her emotions um but there's like some big deal if you exchange blood with a vampire and a human three times Mm. so like that becomes a thing later on too uh, also, somewhere in the middle of this, uh, Suki and Bill have sex for the first time, and Suki is a virgin because she'd, like, made out with people and, like, gotten, like, intimate, but because of her uh, mind-reading ability gets stronger when she touches somebody, she could always sense them thinking, like, oh, her butt looks bad at this angle or, like, whatever, and it just, like, ruined it for her. So because she can't read Bill's thoughts, it's awesome to have sex with him. Also, vampires are just better at sex, apparently. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously. It it goes without saying, I feel. (laughs) So when they get back, at some point after they get back from the bar the second time, they find out her cat is her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't like this part. Sookie's cat is dead, and now, like, Bill super believes that vampires, that the vampire murderer, who's not a vampire, the person murdering people who know vampires, is out to get her. So he has to, like, go on a trip into New Orleans or something. Right, that, yeah, that's it. He goes to New Orleans, and like Kristen was saying, it's off camera, and we don't know exactly why at first. Yeah, um, so he brings another vampire to guard her. This is the best part. (laughs) And we discovered that Bubba is actually Elvis Presley, who is now a vampire. Yeah, it's the greatest. Which is the most insane thing that happens in this book. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Yeah, he's like, oh, like when he died, a fan who was a vampire wanted to like turn him so that he could stay alive forever. But because there was so much drugs in his system, like, it got fucked up. And so he's, like, a very simple vampire. Who eats, he prefers cat blood to, Yeah, again, I don't like that. I, I didn't know if it was just, like, cats specifically or if it was just animals over humans. I think animals over humans. But that's clearly very looked down upon in the vampire community. But they all kind of try to keep an eye out for him because they... They don't want people to know that Elvis is still alive as a fucked up vampire. But all the Elvis sightings are real in this universe as a result of that. Yes. It's so good. I I loved it. Um, So, and also uh, because the Elvis Presley uh, estate is very litigious, they never call him Elvis. Uh, The character's name is Bubba, and they always call him, like, the man from Memphis. And he he gets real weird if you use his name. So everybody's like, shh, no, no, don't, don't say his name. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, But anyway, so because they all kind of look out for him, they, the vampire community, I guess, hires, he's like the one-man vampire Craigslist, and they just hire him for, like, their simple jobs. So... Bill goes to New Orleans and brings in Bubba, a.k.a. Elvis, to be, like, her bodyguard. Yes. And also, 
somewhere in here. Um, she finds a stray dog that she adopts. Yeah, at the bar. Oh, because yes. uh, somebody calls her and says, oh, I need you to come in and cover this shift at the bar. It slammed. And she goes in. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's fine. Go home. And that's where she sees the dog and takes it home. Yes. So she takes the dog home and discovers that actually, like, the next morning that the dog isn't a dog. It's her boss, who's a shapeshifter. Yes! And that's a whole thing, too. He can shapeshift into, like, any animal. It's He shapeshifts into whatever animal he saw last before he shifts. So he keeps a picture of a dog on his desk so that it'll mostly be dog. <laughs> Which is kind of like an animorph situation. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> so then... I don't know, like, it's near the end of the book at that point, and Sookie's home alone and discovers that Bubba is unconscious, that somebody had given him a cat that was poisoned or something, so he passed out, and... Oh, also, somewhere in here, Jason has been arrested for these murders. Like, he's been taken in. Yeah. So, she... Also, her gun is missing, Yes. And she runs out to, like, hide in the woods and sees that the person who ha- is has been murdering all of these girls started with his sister, who was a fangbanger, and it's Arlene, her friend who's a waitress with her, uh, her ex-husband, who's also Jason's friend. And he started by murdering his sister because he didn't like that she was dating a vampire and, like, wouldn't break up with him because he said so. So he, like, and and maybe I'm, I was misinterpreting this. It sounded to me in the way that it read that he was just like, oh, shit, well, like, I could get in trouble for doing this. You know what? I'll cover it up by killing lots of other people who like vampires so that like it'll it'll be justified and not just like me rage killing my sister i didn't take it that way actually because i think it was like he was legitimately just so enraged by her like i don't know betrayal of the species um because they make a comment and this kind of skeeved me out a lot um where after he killed his sister he had sex with her Yes. And that was, like, because he didn't identify her as, like, a member of his human family after she had, like, been with a vampire and he'd killed her. So then that was something, every time he interacted with another woman that had been with a vampire, that same rage, like, bubbled up in him. And he, because Sookie referenced when she was chasing her that, like, the thoughts of, like, rage were so, like, were almost as terrifying as being chased by this guy with a knife. Yeah, no, I I think he really just hated vampires so much, which also, we don't see this character a lot in the book, and I don't remember his name even. Renee. Thank you, Renee. Um, we do see, like, Sookie used to babysit for Arlene and Renee's kids, and then once it's sort of known in town that she's with Bill, like, Arlene's like, ooh, you can't babysit for our kids anymore because vampire... And then, and then Arlene comes around, but Renee never does. So we do see that. But he's very cordial, like the one time that he meets Bill. So he's good at hiding it, I guess. And like Sookie was never able to pick it up in his thoughts, like when he was at the bar or anything. So it really, it is played off. Like he's just two different people. Like as soon as he gets enraged. He's um, like the Hulk. Exactly. Like the vampire Hulk. 
Yeah, I found what it was that made me think this. And, like, rereading it now, like, I read this very quickly. I can I see why I thought that, but I, I think it, it is that you guys are right. It was the part where he was, like, you know, he, he he'd hidden her body because he was ashamed. And since the others uh, aren't his fresh, flesh and blood, it'll be all right to, like, find them and let them die instead. So I think that's what my brain had twisted into that. But I think you guys are right that it was just like he hates vampires and he hates anybody who's been sullied by a vampire. Which it's interesting circling. And I don't want to dig deep into this, but I don't feel qualified. It's not really like what our podcast is, but like just circling back real quick to like the Confederacy and like racism. And I think I think she's trying for something here with like true blood and vampires and bloodlines and like oh you're all just prejudiced against vampires and sort of like setting up new like a new minority i guess kind of i guess it's also kind of like what x-men is about of like are the vampires like a symbol for like you know what i mean like people are very judgmental of them and they're kind of persecuted but also they're powerful but also some of them own slaves I don't like I feel like there's there's something in here that again I don't want to dig into a bunch. Uh, but the book ends with uh after being chased by Renee and reading all this shit from his thoughts, uh she's Suki's like super strong now because she drank all that blood and like unexpectedly strong, so she's able to like get a knife from him and stab him. Mm-hmm. And then she like wakes up in the hospital and uh, Bill comes back and tells her that he's been elected like... He's like the union... Like, I think he literally does say, it's like I'm the union rep for this <laughs> council of vampires. Yeah. And uh, I love that so much. There's, I, like, it is hilarious, but also I genuinely love how this series... Like, one of my favorite things is books and movies that sort of take this supernatural concept and then have to apply some kind of, like, bureaucracy to it. And it's so, like, like just... I mean, this book is ridiculous, and it's very soap operatic. But just the idea of, like, no, we have elections, and then also there's, like, laws about vampires, and I, I love the way it interacts with the real world in whatever way. It's so delightful to me. It only gets better. Yeah. So one of the other books that I, we kind of talked, I, I tossed around the idea of doing instead of the first one, um, I suggested because there is a national vampire conference. Yes. That's amazing. And there are vampire queens and like really it it's just amazing in that oh way. God. Like rarely do I finish a book for this podcast and think like, oh, I got to get the next one. Like normally I finish and I'm like, okay, great, done. Uh, I definitely want to keep reading this series. Yeah, I thought it was fine. It's not, I was not particularly, I'm, and part of it is I'm really over reading heterosexual romance. Like even in my pleasure reading, I have stopped reading books this year about heterosexual people because I just don't care, which is, I think a lot of it is like the climate that we're in right now. And 
just like also just being tired of it after 32 years of like 90%, 99% of all of the stories that I've ever, all of the media that I've ever consumed being about heterosexual people. Like I just am tired of not relating to that portion anymore. So like even books that I've liked reading this year, like, like I saw Wonder Woman and I loved Wonder Woman intellectually I loved Wonder Woman when I walked out of it everyone was like oh my god like this is the greatest movie I've ever seen and I understood that like it was so great to see a female superhero and like I felt very empowered by that and it was very exciting but like I found half of the movie super boring because I just did not care about this like this random guy who she meets once and she's in love with and we're supposed to believe and I just it just left me so cold and I'm just over it. So this was an entire book of people being like, yes, like we're all attracted to this woman. All men are attracted to her. And I just could not care, which is like I said, like it is very much a personal issue with me. You know, I I think that if it was because I do normally like that, that's sort of like, supernatural or or paranormal bureaucracy to the surprise of no one who's read what I've been writing lately (laughs) but it just like I I could not even be like super interested in that part so I was like all right who wants to fuck this lady next like it just completely like disengaged me from everything so I can see why people would like this and like I do think it's much better than a lot of the books that we read for this podcast but I just wish I could care. (laughs) And Kate, side note, you have to stick with it, unfortunately, a somewhat long time before it does bring this up. But Pam, who's kind of like a side character in this book, they mention her, she's like Eric Sheriff's uh, child. Like he made her a vampire. She's actually a, a lesbian character who gets some really great scenes later on. But like you're saying, yeah, you do have to get through a lot of like bullshit of everybody lusting after Sookie before you get to that point. But side note, also, the TV show does a lot of really interesting stuff with her plotline, if anybody's interested in seeking that out later. I just learned it's on Amazon Prime, and I'm probably going to watch it. Um, (laughs) I I will say, I mean, even as a straight person, I'm part of the problem. But I didn't really... For me, like, her relationship with Bill was really, like, the part that I cared about the least. Like, and I could see maybe on the show being a little bit more like, oh, these are really attractive people. Let's watch them bone. In the book, I was kind of like, okay, I get it. I get it. It wasn't my favorite part. There definitely is a lot of it. It's fine. This is, yeah, I was, I'm, I've never been one for romance, like, at all, ever, for any reason. Um, and so I think this book probably is the closest I would ever get to like reading a romance novel purely because I do love the bureaucracy of it and more paperwork less sex (laughs) oh that's why I liked Fifty Shades of Grey (laughs) if we could like come out with a genre that just identifies like the sex to paperwork ratio I would love that I love this I love everything about this oh did we get to the end of the book she's in the hospital (laughs) We got yeah. we, we got some real severe tangents. She's in the hospital. She's Bill fine. got elected Bill to got, prevent oh, Eric from being able to swoop in and like claim her for his own for whatever reason. I think mostly so that he can't easily kill Bill and just <laughs> become like it would take two movies to kill Bill. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but 
so bureaucracy for the sake of this lowly human. Ugh. Yes. Okay. Um, and it's great. <laughs> uh, okay. So does anybody have anything else? Oh, we said we were going to talk about the show a little bit. I guess the main thing we wanted to talk about is, real quick, I had watched season one of this show a long time ago. I think it was when I was in the Peace Corps and, like, somebody had the DVDs and let me or something, and I never followed up on it. But I really liked Tara, who, as we mentioned earlier, is her best friend, who is a black woman, who's great. I think when she's first introduced in the show, she's reading a copy of Shock Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein, which, at the time I was watching, I had just read, and I was like, this is relatable. Look at this nerd. Um, And she's really great. She's like this really outspoken liberal black woman who I think is a good influence on Sookie and the show at least. Again, I haven't watched any more of the show. I hear fucked up shit happens to Tara later on that a lot of people kind of like rage quit the show over and I did, like I feel like Arlene was sort of filling that role of like kind of the best friend but Arlene is fine. Arlene is like a, you know, a a mom who kind of has her own stuff going on. She, to me, was not nearly as great as Tara. And I don't know. I just want to say I miss Tara from this book, I guess. Yeah. It was a shame. Like, HBO definitely did the viewers a service by making her a bigger character and bringing her to the forefront of the show because Mm -hmm. she was the reason that I stuck with the show as long as I did. Even though, yeah, it was horrible the things that they did to her but eventually they came around and made her amazing again at the end and it's my favorite um also tara's brother is lafayette who's the cook at the bar he's in this book a little bit not that much he on the show i remember him being really great as well he's like a queer black man who uh again isn't really here for sicky shit i enjoyed that uh kristen tells me he dies in the books pretty early on but i think he's on the show throughout although i did just i don't remember his name the actor who played him just died very recently and so i saw a lot of like gifs of him going around in memorial so that i think is maybe a good argument for the show that it has these two really good black characters parentheses at least for some of it maybe something happens in the middle i don't know uh that that was really lacking in the book at least this first one okay so that's Uh, what we'll say for now about Dad Until Dark the book, and we'll move on to our dramatic reading. Our first dramatic reading, we're starting off so strong, we're starting off with just the very beginning of the book, and Kristen is going to give us her best Sookie impression, and here we go. I'd been waiting for the vampire for years when he walked into the bar. Ever since vampires came out of the coffin, as they laughingly put it, two years ago, I'd hoped one would come to Bontemps. We had all the other minorities in our little town. Why not the newest, the legally recognized undead? But rural northern Louisiana wasn't too tempting to vampires, apparently. On the other hand, New Orleans was a real center for them. The whole Anne Rice thing, right? It's not that long a drive from Bontemps to New Orleans, and everyone who came into the bar said that if you threw a rock on a street corner there, you'd hit one, though you'd better not. But I was waiting for my own vampire. You can tell I don't get out much, and it's not because I'm not pretty. I am. I'm blonde and blue-eyed and 25, and my legs are strong and my bosom is substantial, and I have a waspy waistline. I look good in the warm-weather waitress outfit Sam picked out for us. Black shorts, white tee, white socks, black Nikes. But I have a disability. That's how I try to think of it. 
The bar patrons just say I'm crazy. Either way, the result is that I almost never have a date, so little treats count a lot with me. And he sat at one of my tables, the vampire. I knew immediately what he was. It amazed me when no one else turned around to stare. They couldn't tell, but to me, his skin had a little glow, and I just knew. I could have danced with joy, and in fact, I did do a little step right there in the bar. Sam Merlot, my boss, looked up from the drink he was mixing and gave me a tiny smile. I grabbed my tray and pad and went over to the vampire's table. I hoped that my lipstick was still even and my ponytail was still neat. I'm kind of tense, and I could feel my smile yanking the corners of my mouth up. He seemed lost in thought, and I had a chance to give him a good once-over before he looked up. He was a little under six feet, I estimated. He had thick brown hair combed straight back and brushing his collar, and his long sideburns seemed curiously out of fashion. He was pale, of course. Hey, he was dead, if you believed the old tales. The politically correct theory, the one the vampires themselves publicly backed, had it that this guy was the victim of a virus that left him apparently dead for a couple of days and thereafter allergic to sunlight, silver, and garlic. The details depended on which newspaper you read. They were full of vampire stuff these days. Anyway, his lips were lovely, sharply sculpted, and he had arched dark brows. His nose swooped down right of that arch, like a prince's in a Byzantine mosaic. When he finally looked up, I saw his eyes were even darker than his hair, and the whites were incredibly white. So hot right now. All right. <laughs> um. I have to say that when I started reading the book, like, that's literally the first page with her, like, I'm blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and, like, I have big breasts, and, like, I look good in my work uniform, read so much, like, fucking My Immortal or some shit, like, <laughs> like, terrible Mary Sue fanfic, that I was like, oh my god, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, and then, obviously, it picks up after that, like, I mean, my whole rant aside about how tired I am of straight people before like it's not like I said it's not a bad book like it's very funny in places and very weird and cool in other places and there's a lot of very interesting world building but like that introduction on page one I was just like I, I put my kindle down well my phone down and was like I don't know if I can keep doing this right now but I pushed through and then it got better but yeah, like what a way to start your book. Uh, it just occurred to me that world building is the term for the things that we want, not paperwork. <laughs> well, I think world building too, like to me, world building is not always indicative of like the paperwork bureaucracy aspects that I like. That's true. Um, because I like, I, I like using the word bureaucracy because I feel like bureaucracy is a good word for the merging of people and word world building. Like, I don't like reading the high fantasy books that mm -hmm. are just like 300 pages of explaining all of the kingdoms and how they interact. I would be much more interested in like reading about the person who has to write the historical curriculum for the universities in that world about the history of all the kingdoms and how frustrating that is and what the educational standards that they have to meet are. So it's, it is like a weird place between world building, straight up world building, and, you know, like the actual character moments that I 
I long for in these books. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, because world, like, I generally don't like a book that has a map of a fake country. Like, if you want me to learn geography of a fake country, I... I'm so mad about it. But if if you wanted me to learn, like, the public transit route for a fake country, I might be, like, more on board with it. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Like, that's exactly what it is. Like, I don't care about what the structures of everything are. I care about how it's relevant to the characters. Like, how it in- how the characters interact with that. Which is why, like, you know, Bill's whole, well, I'm, like, the union rep. And this is, like, how I'm going to interact with the vampire society that we've created in order to you know protect you and also keep this guy in check because of the way that our you know legal system vampire legal system is built up this is the best way to do that like that's interesting to me in a way that like just like straight up and the vampires then created a society and they elected da 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 and yeah yeah, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I know uh, the books are tied to Suki's point of view. I would love it if we had a chapter that was just like Bill in his campaign headquarters, like carefully applying stickers to like campaign posters or like <laughs> taking out his airtime on vampire radio for like his campaign. <laughs> like whatever that was, I would have read a ton of it. And I don't even Thank give a shit about much. Bill. Like, <laughs> I just would love that. <laughs> Uh, okay. So anyway, I guess we should move on to our next dramatic reading, though. (laughs) (laughs) Next up is meeting Bubba, a.k.a. Elvis, but don't call him that. And for this, I will be Suki slash the narrator. Kate will be Vampire Bill, and uh, Kristen will be Bubba. The newcomer was husky, taller than Bill, and he wore old jeans and an I-visited Graceland t-shirt. His heavy boots were worn at the heel. He carried a squirt bottle of synthetic blood in one hand and took a swig from time to time. Mr. Social Skills. Maybe I'd been cued by Renee's reaction, but the more I looked at the vampire, the more familiar he seemed. I tried mentally warming up the skin tone, adding a few lines, making him stand straighter and investing his face with some liveliness. Oh my god, it was the man from Memphis. Renee turned to go and Bill began steering the newcomer up to me. From ten feet away, the vampire called. Hey, Bill tells me someone killed your cat. He had a heavy southern accent. Bill closed his eyes for a second, and I just nodded speechlessly. Well, I'm sorry about that. I like cats. The tall vampire said, and I clearly got the idea he didn't mean he liked to stroke their fur. I hope the kids weren't picking up on that, but Arlene's horrified face appeared in the truck window. All the goodwill Bill had established had probably just gone down the drain. Renee shook his head behind the vampire's back and climbed into the driver's seat, calling a goodbye as he started up the engine. He stuck his head out the window for a long, last look at the newcomer. He must have said something to Arlene because she appeared at her window again, staring for all she was worth. I saw her mouth drop open in shock as she looked harder at the creature standing beside Bill. Her head disappeared into the truck, and I heard a screech as the truck pulled away. Suki, this is Bubba. Bubba, I repeated, not quite trusting my ears. Yep, Bubba, the vampire said cheerfully, goodwill radiating from his fearsome smile. That's me, pleased to meet ya. I shook hands with him, making myself smile back. 
Good God Almighty, I never thought I'd be shaking hands with him. But he'd sure change for the worse. Bubba, would you mind waiting here on the porch? Let me explain our arrangement to Sookie. That's all right with me, Bubba said casually. He settled on the swing as happy and brainless as a clam. We went into the living room, but not before I noticed that when Bubba had made his appearance, much of the night noise, bugs, frogs, had simply stopped. I had hoped to explain this to you before Bubba got here, but I couldn't. Is that who I think it is? Yes. So now you know at least some of the sighting stories are true. But don't call him by his name. Call him Bubba. Something went wrong when he came over from human to vampire. Maybe it was all the chemicals in his blood. But he was really dead, wasn't he? Not quite. One of us was a morgue attendant and a big fan, and he could detect the tiny spark still left. So he brought him over in a hurried manner. Brought him over? Made him a vampire. But that was a mistake. He's never been the same from what my friends tell me. He's as smart as a tree trunk, and so to make a living, he does odd jobs for the rest of us. We can't have him out in public, you can see that. I nodded, my mouth hanging open. Of course not. Jeez, I murmured, stunned at the royalty in my yard. So remember how stupid he is and how impulsive. Don't spend time alone with him, and don't ever call him anything but Bubba. Also, he likes pets, as he told you, and a diet of their blood hasn't made him any more reliable. Then Bill goes out of town to run for Vampire Student Council. Bubba stays there. (laughs) (laughs) And our last dramatic reading is going to reveal Sam's secret. And Sookie will be Kate, and I will be Sam. Okay, so this is right after Sookie has brought the dog that she found home and named him Dean. You stay there, I said sternly, and got in bed. I was very tired and not nearly so nervous now that the dog was here. Though what help I expected him to be in case of an intruder, I didn't know, since he didn't know me well enough to be loyal to me. But I would accept any comfort I could find, and I began to relax into sleep. Just as I was drifting off, I felt the bed indent under the weight of the collie. A narrow tongue gave my cheek a swipe. The dog settled close to me. I turned over and patted him. It was sort of nice having him here. The next thing I knew it was dawn. I could hear the birds going to town outside, chirping up a storm, and felt wonderful to be snuggled in bed. I could feel the warmth of the dog through my nightgown. I must have gotten hot during the night and thrown off the sheet. I drowsily patted the animal's head and began to stroke his fur, my fingers running idly through the thick hair. He wriggled even closer, sniffed my face, and put his arm around me. His arm? I was off the bed and shrieking in one move. In my bed, Sam propped himself on his elbows, sunny side up, and looked at me with some amusement. Oh, oh my god, Sam, how'd you get here? What are you doing? Where's Dean? I covered my face with my hands and turned my back, but I'd certainly seen all there was to see of Sam. Woof, said Sam from a human throat, and the truth stomped over me in combat boots. I whirled back to face him, so angry I felt like I was going to blow a gasket. You watched me undress last night, you... you damn dog! Sookie, listen to me. Another thought struck me. Oh, Sam, Bill will kill you. I sat on the slipper chair in the corner by the bathroom door. I put my elbows on my knees and hung my head. 
Oh, no. I said, no, no, no. He was kneeling in front of me. The wiry red gold hair of his head was duplicated on his chest and trailed down in a line to... I shut my eyes again. Suki, I was worried when Arlene told me you were going to be alone. Didn't she tell you about Bubba? Bubba? The vampire Bill left watching the house. Oh, yeah, she said he reminded her of some singer. Well, his name is Bubba. He likes to drain animals for fun. I hid the satisfaction of seeing, through my fingers, Sam turn pale. Well, isn't it lucky you let me in, then? Suddenly, recalled to his guise of the night before, I said, What are you, Sam? I'm a shapeshifter. I thought it was time you knew. Do you have to do it quite like that? Actually, I had planned on waking up and getting out before you opened your eyes. I just overslept. Running around on all fours kind of tires you out. I thought people just changed into wolves. Nope, I can change into anything. I was so interested, I dropped my hands and tried to stare just at his face. How often, I asked, do you get to pick? I have to at the full moon. Other times, I have to will it. It's harder and it takes longer. I turn into whatever animal I saw before I changed. So I keep a dog book open to a picture of a collie on my coffee table. Collies are big, but non-threatening. So you could be a bird? Yeah, but flying is hard. I'm always scared I'm going to get fried on a power line or fly into a window. Why? Why did you want me to know? You seem to handle Bill being a vampire really well. In fact, you seem to enjoy it. So I thought I would see if you could handle my... condition. But what you are, I said abruptly, off a mental tangent, can't be explained by a virus. I mean, you utterly change. He didn't say anything. He just looked at me, the eyes now blue, but just as intelligent and observant. Being a shapeshifter is definitely supernatural. If that is, then other things can be. So, I said slowly, carefully, Bill hasn't got a virus at all. Being a vampire, it really can't be explained by an allergy to silver or garlic or sunlight. That's just so much bullshit the vampires are spreading around, propaganda, you might say so that they can be more easily accepted as sufferers from a terrible disease. But really, they're... They're really... I dashed into the bathroom and threw up. Luckily, I made it to the toilet. Yeah, I'm sorry, Suki. But Bill doesn't just have a virus. He's really, really dead. Which, I don't really understand why this was a big deal, but I guess it is. Yeah, who knows? Like, I feel like even if you are like, oh, yeah, people have a virus that just makes you just like a vampire, you're still, it's still fundamentally the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, especially, I mean, this is pretty late in the book. She's already experienced a lot of weird vampire stuff that I guess was fine when it was a virus. (sighs) Whatever. Let's play some Would You Rather. Can do. Would you rather live in Forks, Washington, or you say it, Krista? Buntomp. (laughs) Louisiana. (laughs) Uh, Forks, Washington for me, straight up. Louisiana is too hot and too humid. I would die. Yeah, I'm I'm picking Forks as well. Um, Plus, I just feel like I would feel safer if Charlie Swan was around as the sheriff. (laughs) I don't I don't really trust Andy Belfleur. I'm going to be the odd one out. I think I'm going to go with Bon Um, mostly because 
I don't know. It just sounds more exciting. And actually, I was look. I, I moved recently, and that Louisiana was one of the locations that oh. I was considering moving to, whereas Washington was not. So maybe something just strikes me as pleasant mm-hmm. about that area. And I guess the other thing too is like in your scenario, people are openly supernatural, whereas in Forks, it's secret vampires. Oh, that's a great point. One of the things that I like tell people about myself is that I'm like a really disappointed atheist (laughs) because I just wish that all of the supernatural things were real. So I'm just continually disappointed when they're not. So open, like vampires, shapeshifters, like that's my jam. That's what I wish this world was. And and it's not a virus. It's real. (laughs) Yes, which is so much better to me. (laughs) All right. Sounds great. How about, would you rather be a member of the Descendants of the Glorious Dead or the Babysitter's Club? Uh, Babysitter's Club, straight up. Yeah, the Babysitter's Club are uh, way less racist, for starters. (laughs) Very much less racist, yes. And more profitable. That as well. I also think that I could handle... I don't know, like saving a bunch of kids off of an island better Mm -hmm. than I could handle really just like hard hitting questions about like what you were doing as a Confederate. Yeah. Like I've I've got those skill sets. All right. Well, I'll see you in Claudia's bedroom at 515. Uh, Last up, would you rather drink at Merlot's bar or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie, that only serves steaks and cakes. Uh, I obviously would choose steaks and cakes, which is, you know, our wonderful sponsor of this podcast. Uh, Last night on my way back from New York, we stopped to get a snack at Stop and Shop, and there was a little cake, and I was like, gosh, I wish I could eat this cake, but I don't have a fork. So I didn't buy the cake, and I am regretting it still now, a whole, like, 12, 16 hours later. You have cake blue balls. I do. This, to me, is the hardest decision. Like, we've paired steaks and cakes up against other establishments, and I've always been like, yeah, definitely steaks and cakes. But, I mean, the bar has alcohol and maybe vampires, which is kind of cool. Although, it seems like you might get murdered, whereas crime never happens at the good, wholesome establishment of steaks and cakes. Um, so I think, I guess that ultimately is a, is a point in favor of steaks and cakes. And so I will choose to just chow down on a cake at steaks and cakes, our amazing sponsor where crimes never happen. While I appreciate everything that steaks and cakes does for this podcast, of which I am a dedicated listener, um, as a vegetarian and somebody who uh, doesn't care for cake, I mean, I know we're just going for drinks, but I don't know what their drink menu looks like, whereas I know... Well, they don't sh- have drinks. They only have steaks and cakes. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I know Merlots is open to carrying a variety of interesting beverages because they do accommodate true blood needs. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've got to go with Merlots. Support my small business. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And tip your waitress well. <laughs> she needs it. Think only kind thoughts towards her. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now we're going to play a quick bonus round of our other favorite game, Fucking, Marrying, Killing, of course, inspired by Bill O'Reilly. And here we are going to uh, play Fucking, Marrying, Killing, first with Bill the Vampire, 
Sam and Eric, the vampire sheriff. What you doing? <sighs> this is always so hard because I just don't want to do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Um, I guess I'll fuck Sam. Mary. Um, Kate, Kate, you've forgotten the cardinal rule of fucking marrying. I'm sorry. I did. I did. I started with. I'd fucking Sam. Mm-hmm. I'd marrying Eric because then I could marry into his like whole bar thing and his seat of power. Um, and I'd killing Bill. Interesting. See, it's really. I mean, for me, it's it's just all about that power grab. I'm not above marrying for money, as we have established. Kate, I totally second your marrying Eric, because I was thinking the same thing. Um, But I would switch. I would killing Sam, because just his overbearingness really irritates me. And that sounds... uh, No, I I, I don't have time for that. And I would fucking Bill, for sure. Mm. Uh, this is interesting because I think we're all going with different uh, options, which rarely happens. I'm marrying Sam, and uh, you know I get free drinks at the bar all the time. I also I don't know how the shapeshifter ability works, but I would love if I could get a piece of that because I do want to be an anamorph, and if it's somehow <laughs> like sexually transmitted, I don't know. I'll I'll take that. Or you could have shapeshifting offspring, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I mean I just want it for myself, but that would be <laughs> fine, I guess. Uh, I'm fucking Eric, because at least on the show, he's, like, pretty hot. And I'm killing Bill the Vampire, and he can just go back to Confederate hell, where he belongs. <laughs> All right. Round two of fuck. although I don't know about Eric. Eric probably also was a Confederate soldier, but didn't... He was co- a Viking. What? Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> Feel great about my choices. <laughs> okay, round two of fucking marrying killing... Sookie, Arlene the waitress, and Diane the sexy bad girl vampire. Um, gosh. All right, this is, uh. Right, I'll go because I feel like my choice is pretty clear cut, actually. Go for it. Um, I'm marrying Arlene. She, that seems like it would be just kind of a quiet, normal, like, existence. I'm fucking Sookie at least once, just because, I mean, everybody wants a piece of that. I want to see what it's about. Um, but I feel like being in a long-term thing with Sookie is going to get real dramatic. I don't need that. And then uh, I'm killing Diane because she, she's a bad vampire. Did we mention who she is? I don't, th- she, I don't think we specifically did. She's in that nest of bad vampires who are at Bill's house early on. But she's, like, hella sexy, supposedly, like, always wearing, like, I think they mention leopard print, like, every time yes. she comes into the scene. I'm killing her and I'm taking her clothes. <laughs> All right. I think that I am fucking Diane just because she is supposed to be really sexy. And I'm marrying Arlene because I would feel terrible killing her. She's been through mom. enough. Yes. Um. And, like, normally I would be like, yeah, like, I'm fucking sucky. But if she's, like, reading my mind and it's terrible for her, like, I don't want to have sex where she's just miserable. Like, that just seems like it would be a miserable experience all around. But that does mean I have to killing her. Mm. I did, when I was putting this out, I did briefly forget about her mind reading powers. But too late. I'm committed by the rules of fucking, (laughs) marrying, killing. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I'm going to reluctantly mirror Renata's exactly. Um, 
but I'm real bitter about the fact that Arlene is the one that I'm marrying because she just, her, her narrow-mindedness gets real old real fast. And she really just seems like taken aback by all drama at all times. Not my thing, but I have no interest in a relationship with Sookie where she can like read my mind all the time. So yeah. I'll just get like my one taste of that, see how great it is, and killing Diane. I liked your idea about stealing her clothes. I, I think we could pull that off well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, and that's how we play fucking marrying killing. We'll move on now to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some stuff to read instead of or in addition to. And I, I gotta say, in addition to, if any of this sounds at all appealing to you, I really enjoyed this book. I'm probably gonna read more. Um, so straight off, if you like, like, weird shit about the reality of being a supernatural creature and, like, trying to live in the world, you should watch Being Human, the UK version. I've never seen the Canadian version, and I've heard that it is not as good. Um, I guess it depends on what you're looking for in it, but it uh, it is a TV show about a werewolf, a vampire, and a ghost who are roommates. I didn't know that's what that was. I think I was always getting it confused with something else that I don't know what it was. Uh, I'm definitely more interested in watching it now. Uh, my top pick for this is a little bit it's a step aside, but hear me out. And it's the Magicians Trilogy by Lev Grossman and also the TV show version of it, both. Um, because it's not about vampires, obviously, but I think the Magicians really handles like that magical bureaucracy that we've discussed in a way that's very satisfying to me. It also has some of this kind of like soapy drama. Not quite as much. It's not quite as funny, but I would recommend it if that's what you're looking for in this experience of reading or watching a show. Uh, more closely related to to the actual kind of like supernatural and like kind of darkly funny in places and you know, like melodrama type recommendation. Pretty much anything by Poppy Z. Bright. I haven't read any of his books in a very, very long time, but like 20 years ago uh, a little bit more less than that I read a couple of them and really enjoyed them and they also do have a lot of queer people in them so I didn't know Poppy Zebrae was a man uh, he's a trans man okay I just I never read anything by him I just meant the name Poppy I was uh, I think he when he originally started writing he was IDing as female so oh. I think he just never changed his because so many books already existed under that name Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be offensive at all. I just literally had never read or looked into Poppy Z. Bright at all. And I just had always... Yeah, I mean, you okay. just didn't have the information. It's... Yeah. <clears throat> Good to know. So I think I also... We, we briefly touched on Midnight Texas, which is a show now um, based on the series of books that Charlene Harris did. I watched the first couple of episodes and I found it very charming. Um, the ebook that I was reading this through also had the first like two or three chapters of Midnight Texas at the end of it. So I got to dive into the book a little bit and it was solid. I mean, like on par with this Charlene Harris book. 
Um, so I, I would give that a watch and maybe a read if you liked this. Um, but more than that, Renata and I were talking about this book before, and all I could think about was the mockumentary What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. Uh, which is a movie where it, it like follows a group of vampires who are all living together as roommates. Um, so they have like a Nosferatu vampire that lives in the basement and like like the poppy vampire and like I'm trying to remember but there's just like it's all been a while since I watched it yeah it's very funny it's all the different incarnations it has um oh what is his name from Flight of the Concords in it as the the werewolf. Oh, no, is it uh, Murray? Murray, yeah. Murray is one of the... <laughs> I don't the, know Murray's real name. <laughs> I don't either. But he's in it as one of the, the werewolf gang Yo, members. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my oh God. My it's amazing. I gotta watch that again. Yeah. Yeah. It is It is very funny. I also co-signed this recommendation. <laughs> we'll have some more of these on our website. I think we're going to burn through this pretty quickly. Uh, but uh, we'll have more on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. I'm going to throw in one last recommendation, which is just for sort of... X-Men in general, because like I mentioned, I do think they're kind of trying to do something with vampires the way that X-Men is doing with mutants as like some sort of like weird metaphor. But also, um, if like me, you're interested in like the trashiest of X-Men, which is Gambit, I think he would fit so good into the True Blood universe because he is the leader of the Thieves Guild out of uh, New Orleans. And so, like, my crossover fan fiction, I think, is, like, an interaction between the Thieves Guild and the Vampires Union. And please, uh, let's write that. So, <laughs> also, one more quick thing from me, who's going to abuse my thing as podcast host, just to say this. Although, actually, before I say that, there is also a story in either the 70s or the 80s where the X-Men meet Dracula, and yes. he has a crush on Storm, and it's very good. Um, if by good, you mean, like, bonkers. I do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when this airs, you'll still have one week to catch uh, Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway before it closes. And if you haven't done that yet and you were in a position to do so, I heartily recommend it. It's why I'm so tired today as I did a round trip trip yesterday, left at 730 in the morning and got back at midnight to go see it one last time before it closes. And do yourself a favor. It's like nothing you've ever experienced. I, I agree. It's a great show. Um, I I thought you were going to jump in to recommend a uh, friend of the show, Jesse's comic Action Draculas. But oh, yes. How did I forget that, Jesse? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm, a be- I'm a better friend. Uh, <laughs> we'll link to that. No, because you have your comic hangover, obviously. It's true. It's true. But, you know, if, if you like action and Draculas, that's got both of those things in it. And, like, 80s cartoons, and, yeah, it's great. Great. So, again, we'll have this and all the stuff we didn't get around to saying out loud at WorstBestSellers.com, and we will move on to our candy pairing, where we'll suggest a delicious candy to go along with this delicious book. Uh, mine is beignets, because they're, like, sweet and southern and from New Orleans. I'm not totally confident in how to pronounce them. Uh, <laughs> and they're... Uh, you know, like, if you go to New Orleans, everyone's like, oh, my God, you have to get beignets. You have to go to Cafe du Monde. You have to get them. And and then you're like, oh, there's such a long line. Is it going to be worth it? Is it going to live up to all this hype? And then you're like, yes, put it in my mouth. <laughs> and that's me with this book. So mine was a Take 5 candy bar. Um, they're one of those candy bars that everybody's, like, heard of or is somewhat, like, tangentially aware of them. But... 
as someone who's like tried one and knows how great they are, as soon as you finally convince somebody else to try one and they love it as well they should, it's just satisfying every single time. You're a pusher. (laughs) Uh, And my recommendation is the fake candy blood you can get in like fake blood bags around Halloween. Uh, Just, you know, because you'll feel real badass while you're sucking on that while reading these books and pretending that you too are in the world of, you know, Sookie and all of these other vampire types. (laughs) Sookie and the gang, my favorite 80s band. Yes. All right. Now we'll move on to The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, which I think he basically already is, and uh, Kristen will say which most enhances the book, or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Okay. Uh, If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be the owner of Merlots, Merlots, Merlots. Merlots, uh, instead of Sam. (laughs) Sam's kind of a creep. Uh, And instead of, like, vaguely pining after them and, like, falling asleep in their beds and waking up naked, Dorak would be, like, very protective of his employees. So he'd initially have suspicions about Renee just because of his relationship with Arlene in the past and his, like, skulking about. So he'd launch his own investigation in... He would do that during the time that Sam spent, like, pining over Sookie and, like, following her around and shit. So he'd have all of that spare time to figure out that Renee was doing the murders, like, well before the shit hits the fan. So he would be able to save uh, Sookie's grandmother and stop all the rest of the nonsense in the town. Or, uh, actually, he would not even come close to stopping all the other nonsense in the town. (laughs) He would stop the Renee serial killing related nonsense in the town. Great. Well, similarly, because I do feel like it's hard to improve this book, uh, but here's what I think would happen if Wolverine were in this book trying to enhance it. I think he would kind of be bros with Sam, and he'd hang out at the bar sometimes. Um, Sookie would appreciate that he keeps his thoughts to himself, which he's learned how to do from living with other telepaths. And I think mostly he would just kind of occasionally pop into town and drink a bunch of drinks and then go back to his X-Men business. But uh, he'd he'd be around and he'd be able to tell that a crime was about to go off from Renee because he's got those super senses, whatever. And he would save Suki's grandma, which to me was the worst part of this book. And he also would save Suki's cat, the other worst part of this book. And kill Renee and so also end the serial killing business. And then uh, later on, he would also go to a Descendants of the Glorious Dead meeting, but he'd have some, like, Canadian-slash-Union soldier Civil War flashbacks at them just to give them, like, um, you know, the other side of things. Okay, I thought I was going to have a really hard time picking between those two because I appreciated so much that you saved the grandmother with both of those. But the idea of Wolverine presenting to the glorious or the descendants of the glorious dead is just so delightful to me. Like now I'm picturing Sookie's grandmother like inviting him over for iced tea and like him just like sullenly sitting on the couch as she tries to dote on him. And like it's a whole thing now. So I definitely have to go with Wolverine on this one. Thank you. God, our True Blood X-Men fanfiction that we've started writing in this podcast is so good. So good. Yes. But also The Rock would be there, too, in the fanfiction, obviously. Because 
because it's fan fiction. That's how it works. <laughs> All right. What do we think the moral of the story is? My moral of the story is it's never actually the handsome, mysterious stranger who's doing the murders in your town. It's always someone who's been kind of a creep the entire time. It's just like a creepy middle-aged white guy. Always. Yep. <laughs> Mine is dating and sex are definitely better if you have no fucking clue what your partner is thinking. My moral of the story is just uh, be hot. Life is way better if you're hot. It seems like. All right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will share his two cents about the book. No, oh my god, Duarte, I know you're right. It was horrible how many cats died in this book. I'm so sorry you had to read it. Stick um, with it, though, because there are both were-panthers and were-tigers prim- predominantly foc- like featured in later books and even the TV show, and they are amazing. I had heard about those, and I am very intrigued. I didn't know there were were-tigers. That's new information. Yes, it's a love interest, and it's wonderful. Oh my god. Okay, so Duarte, that does sound good, right, though? Yeah, you know, it's fine. I'm sure that more cats will come back to take revenge against the dead cat. It'll it'll be okay. That's how these books always go. Yeah. And he'll live on forever in our hearts. Although I did already forget that cat's name. <laughs> but just the idea of him. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dorte. Uh, again, sorry we made you read that horrible, horrible part of the book. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Guys, I just really love these books. Like, I I think I've used the term for things that I was doing after. Like, when I finished this book series, like, I don't think I've read anything this religiously since I was reading, like, Nancy Drew and Babysitter's Club. So when I refer to the books that I tried to pick up after I finished this series, I refer to it as trying to fill a sookie-shaped hole in my heart. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. I know this is worst bestsellers, but these are really just, like, campy and delightful. Yeah. This is, I'm going to give this my personal best bestsellers stamp on it. Yeah, like I said before, like, absolutely, I think this book is of a much higher quality than a lot of the books that we read, just in enjoyment levels. And I mean, like, obviously, like, it's not like going to be like the next Pulitzer winning or whatever. But you know, it was much better written and much more enjoyable than most of the books that we've read. Uh, my issues with it are wholly personal and should not affect your decisions on whether or not to pick it up. I'm going to defer to Kristen and Renata and say, if this sounds like something you'd be into, like, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if it doesn't sound like if you always were like, oh, that sounds dumb and this just isn't your bag, then I'm not going to say like, oh, it's so amazing that even if you hate vampires and even if you hate Supernatural, like you have to read it. But if it's if you think it sounds fun, you'll probably think it's fun. I think it it follows through on its uh, like packaging. All right. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to see more of us out there on the internet, you can like us on Facebook, where we're the worst bestsellers. 
You can follow us on Twitter where we're we're bestseller with no S because that's that's how you have to pronounce it with a like a Creole accent as you just lose the S. Um, probably. And so we did that for Twitter. <laughs> uh, we also have a Goodreads group that has a complicated URL. So you should just go to worstbestsellers.com and click on the Goodreads button if you want to join that. Uh, we have, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pops the podcast up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, then uh, we're going to be forced to, like, send Sam, the bartender, to, like, creep on you and decide to macho Lee need to protect you and it'll just be really annoying and really just none of us need that sort of toxic masculinity in our lives right now <laughs> we also have a patreon which you can get to at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers uh if you are unfamiliar with patreon for a small recurring monthly donation to the podcast you'll have access to some cool perks like a newsletter that comes out once a month Voting on things like this episode was a poll that where our listeners voted on books that they suggested through Patreon, and this one won, so that's why we did this. And it also, your money helps us do things like pay our editor and buy new equipment and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, right now, up live on the Patreon is our Twilight movie bonus episode that uh, we are waiting to put out in the feed for a while. We're sort of saving it in our pocket for if somebody gets pneumonia again and we have to pause the podcast. So... Who knows when it'll be out on iTunes for all you non-patrons. But if you want to hear us talk about Twilight, the movie, and you probably do, because uh, we had a lot a lot of shit to say about all those movies, uh, that's up on Patreon only. Also, one of the perks you can get on Patreon is a shout-out on the podcast. And today's shout-out goes to Devin McCullen. And uh, the message provided is, if you're in Detroit, to check out the Museum of Anthropology and the Planetarium at Wayne State University, which are now under the direction of Devin's awesome sister, Megan. Congratulations, Megan. That sounds like a cool job. Yes. Uh, When this podcast comes out, it's going to be after the big eclipse, but we're recording it before. And I know most public librarians are kind of feeling me when I say that library patients everywhere are going nuts for eclipse classes that they have been, in some cases, mistakenly told that all public libraries are providing. In my case, I was so driven nuts by it that I was saying, oh, we should uh, we should do a program with like a, uh, what's it called, a sky scientist? And I think that sounds like maybe that's what Megan does, is she's a sky scientist, which is a dope <laughs> job. And even if that's not her job, that's what I'm going to think of her as. Uh, Devin's also a great friend of the podcast who talks to us on Twitter. We always like to hear from Devin. We like to hear from all of you guys. And we we just finished telling you our social media, so you should use that to talk to us. Yes. Um, but also, if you want to talk to me personally and not the podcast as a conglomerate, you can talk to me personally at Renata Snacks on Twitter. You can talk to me personally at 14 Across on Twitter. And if you're interested in me at all, I am at Kristen Classic on Twitter and probably more so Instagram. Yeah, she's got cool, cool vintage fashions to show you. Cool, classic fashions that she maybe stole from a dead vampire. I don't know. I'm not above that. Mm. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much to Kristen for joining us. Thank you to Patreon for picking this dope ass book for us. Thanks to everyone for listening. 
Uh, and we're going to continue to ride this vampire train all the way to its final station. Uh, next next episode, we'll be back with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter by Seth Graham Smith. And I'm pretty stoked. And uh, do we have another episode between then and Breaking Dawn? Or are we just doing twi- uh, vampires all the way through until October? Yeah, no, that, that's what I mean. We are riding this vampire train all the way to Breaking Dawn Town. Yes. All right, so it's going to be a great month coming up. We'll see you guys then. Bye. Bye. More paperwork. Less set. <laughs>